In believing the truth, we also value love because the greatest of these is love. So the truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. And I believe that American culture, because they don't value the word of God, they struggle on the other side. We love everybody. And because they love everybody, there's no foundation in truth. They actually don't love anybody because they don't know what love is. Pastor Daniel just quoted John Stott. Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. This thought-provoking quote will really undergird Pastor Daniel's point in today's message. Just saying you love someone doesn't mean much. Are you ready to act upon that love? Are you ready to speak the truth even when it causes friction? Brothers and sisters, we need to be faithfully and lovingly declaring the truths of Jesus to everyone we encounter. Now here's Pastor Daniel with our continuing study entitled, Jesus is All In. That's what I call being all in. Being all in is caring about something enough to sacrifice for it. And brothers and sisters, you and I need to be all in the way Jesus is all in. Why? Because we call ourselves by his name. One of the biggest critiques of Christianity in the West is that we don't act a whole lot like Jesus. And you know what? Some of it's a fair critique. I've always believed that you should listen to your critics. Don't mean you should believe everything your critics say about you. But you should be willing to hear the critiques And what's interesting is we live in a world that wants to see a vibrant expression of the people of God. They want to see it. When they don't see it, they're like, this doesn't look a whole lot like Jesus to me. Now, don't get me wrong. They don't believe in Jesus anyway. But God has given you and I a stewardship to be his hands and feet in a broken world. And the only way we can be that is to be all in, all the way in, fully engaged. I love this. It says in these verses that each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want you to remember that, that each one of us, there's been a measure of grace given. Notice in verse eight, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. I just want you to keep a mental note of that because as we get a little farther down, this measure of God's grace, this gift that he has given unto you and I, because it says gave gifts to men, we say it a lot, that culture wasn't a gender appellation kind of conscious about it. When it said men, it meant men and women. Each one of us has got a gift. Each one of us has, has got a measure of God's grace. Now look at what happens next. In verses 11 and 12, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, 
for the edifying of the body of Christ. These verses teach us that we are all called to the work of ministry. We are all called to the work of ministry. And what does all mean, brothers and sisters? Yeah, you guys are deep. It's Sunday morning. All means all. We're all called to the work of ministry. How do I know? In verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Now, here the Apostle Paul gives certain groups or certain sets of gifts. Apostles, those who were sent out. Prophets, those who speak as God's mouthpiece to call into question the status quo and to enliven a more glorious future. Evangelists, those who have the the gift of gathering, who proclaim the good news. Pastors, those who have the job of guiding and shepherding God's people. Teachers, those who have the gift of grounding people in God's word. God, there's certain unique giftings, offices, not the only giftings. But why did Jesus give these offices so that these guys and gals would do all the work? Is that what it says? So God gave you special five groups of people and they're going to do all the work? That's not what it says. Because verse 12, why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You see that? So these five skill sets were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? And don't say the football team from New Orleans. The saints are not a hall of fame of the greatest of Christian people. Saints are you and I if you put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's an old saying about an old southern gal, love the Lord, and she used to say, well, you're either a saint or you ain't. And I think that's true. Because if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then God sees you as a saint. That word saint, it's the word hagios in the Greek, and it literally means one who is holy. And you and I are holy not by our own works. We're holy by the imputed grace of God. Jesus is holy. And as we believe in him, he robes us in his holiness. And I'm so grateful that I'm not have to stand up and be like, I'm holy because of what I do. Because we all know that that's a fool's errand, isn't it? And you're like, yeah, you preach it, Pastor Dan. We know you're a fool, you know. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But listen, in our own, all of us fail in a million ways. All it takes is a shred of self-reflection to realize we all fail in a myriad of ways. But God doesn't hold us down by our failings. He says, look, I'm going to robe you in the righteousness of my son. And I'm going to call you a saint. I'm going to call you a holy one because you have trusted in the holy one. And he's given you his holiness. So God has given these offices, these giftings, to equip all of us for the work of ministry. So what that means is that what goes on on this stage, this is ministry, but it's not the only ministry. Everything that you and I do, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and 366 in a leap year, every single moment is ministry. Ministry literally means service. Service to God and service to the world. Service to God and service to one another. 
loving God and loving humanity, simply responding to Jesus by saying, it's not all about me because it's more blessed to give than receive. We're all called to works of service, to the ministry. And notice, to the edifying of the body of Christ. That word edifying, that's a biblical word. We don't use it anymore. It's building up. That's what it means. It means, you know, if you work out and you're like, I don't know that I know about that. And me neither too much. I've read about working out. I've even watched some videos of people working out. I'm just hoping to get bigger by osmosis. But what I do know is that when you go to the gym, if you were to go to the gym, right, you, you work hard and you actually tear the muscles. That's what you do. And then your body, and if I get this a little bit wrong, give me a little grace. Science was not my strength in school. But your body sends protein to those ripped muscles, and then it goes and it repairs those muscles, and they get bigger and stronger. That's edifying right there. There's a tearing, there's a breaking, and then there's a building up even stronger. Don't miss that. Very biblical. God placed in our bodies what he told us in his word, because when Jesus wants to bless something, what does he do? He blesses it, he breaks it, and then he empowers and gives it out. He he created our bodies on the exact same principle. See, when you and I are fully engaged and we do these works of service, we're making the body buff. The body of Christ. Not flabby, not lazy, but lean, mean, Satan-fighting machines. Now, I just want to say, I didn't put that in my notes, but that will preach. (laughs) That will preach. Amen? Now, we're all called to this. Every single one of us, like Jesus, we are all called to be all in all the time. Any of those of you who, who do work out, you realize that the key to sustaining your buff body is not that you go in fits and starts where you work out like a crazy person for a week and then you take three weeks off. You might take a step forward, but the three weeks off end up giving you about 19 steps backwards. The key to it is sustained effort. You keep going. You keep plugging. You keep taking care of it. Now, if you notice what this also means for us, because you look at verse 11, these apostles, those who were sent out, the evangelists, the prophets, the pastors, teachers, do you realize that, brothers and sisters, that this, what we're doing here on Sundays, this is the huddle. This is what it is. And we got to make sure we don't mistake the huddle for the game. In football, A team gets together, they huddle down, they get the play call, and then they go out and what? They execute. Church on a Sunday, it's a family reunion, it's a huddle. We get together, we get the the play called, we get the Lord saying, look, this is who I want you to be. And guess what? The game is every single moment after we leave this building. That's when the game happens. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday with your co-workers, your neighbors, your family members, your enemies. That's where the game is happening. And so we come here today and we learn together. We grow together. We worship God together. 
But the game is after we leave this. This is the huddle. We get our marching orders here. We get equipped. This is meant to be an equipping time so that we can go out and be the people of God. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we are all called to the work of ministry. Now, notice what happens in verse 13. Look at what it says. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried out by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plottings, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, brothers and sisters, this teaches us that our engagement is necessary for maturity. Our engagement is necessary for maturity. This is important because we live in a day and age where people like to give the body of Christ a hard time. It's very common now for younger people who grew up in the church to be all down on church. You know, and it's really all kids who just grew up in the church together and they're disillusioned by church. And, and in their disillusionment, all they do is they say mean things about the church. And what's interesting about that is that, and I've said it before, that it's really hard to rock the boat when you're rowing it. So they, they're disillusioned by church. And so what they do is they pull themselves out of it and they, and they talk about how bad it is. And they don't even realize that if they're really God's kids, then God would want them to be in the church because our engagement is necessary for maturity. Look at what it says. I mean, I'm just telling you what it says here. Look what it says. It's for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That word perfect man means a complete person. So what that means is that as the saints are equipped for the work of ministry, as we all are fully engaged and we're building up the body, the body grows till we all come to the unity of the faith. The oneness. Because God loves unity. A mature church is unified. So what it means is that not only are we in process as individuals, but we're also as in process as a family. And as all of us are in process together, and as we all are fully engaged in serving and building up the body, the whole body grows. And as the whole body grows, we come to the unity of faith and to knowledge experiential and implied knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. We, we grow to completion together. Together. And not only that, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we become all that we are meant to be. And not only that, verse 14, and we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. As we grow, we leave behind childish ways of looking at theology, 
We're not tossed all about. Oh, this is the new thing, and this is the new thing, and this and that. No, we're like, no. The old-time religion works. We don't need no new wrinkle. The old wrinkles are sufficient. So part of the maturity is that we stop flip-flopping every time some new fad comes out. And you got to realize, capitalism knows no limit. They look at the church, they realize they can market all this stuff to the church, and churches who leave Jesus are always looking for something to focus on. And so people realize it's big, it's a billion-dollar industry marketing things to Christians. When really all you need is one Bible with God's Word in it. But every time, it's like, you got to get, how many times have I said, you got to get this, this and don't, this will make your spiritual life better. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of things that build us up, but all we really need is the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God. And guess what? All that's free. If you're like, well, well, I can get a free Bible, just talk to the Gideons, they'll give you one. I mean, seriously. Listen, if you need a Bible, just take the one in your pew. Seriously. That's why it's there. If you're brand new to the faith, you're going to come down today and give your life to Christ. We're going to give you a Bible when you leave anyway. We want you to take God's word with you. But see, part of our maturity is that we're no longer all over the place, tossed, tossed around like on a tempest in a boat, but we're in calm waters. It says he leads us behind, beside still waters. He lets us lay down in green pastures. We're not all over the place anymore. We become steady instead of being unstable. Not only that, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all things to him who is the head, who is Christ. One of my favorite verses right here, speaking the truth in love. Right there. To me, that is the sweet spot of Christian ethics, right there. Speaking the truth in love. It might be best translated, truthing in love. Truthing in love. And John Stott, the Anglican commentator, don't agree with everything John Stott said, but this quote, I've quoted it here a lot. I'll quote it again. I just think it's so perfect. I, would, I could rewrite it and try and pass it off as my own, but I'm really just plagiarizing John Stott. So we'll give him the nod for it. He said this, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. That's a good quote. Because the sweet spot of Christian ethics is not being brutal with the truth. And let's be honest, some of us really struggle with that, right? We love the truth, we value the truth, and everybody who you meet who doesn't believe the truth, you brutalize them in the name of Jesus. And that's no good. That's no good. Because it doesn't say just truth them into the ground. It says truth in love. So we believe the truth and in believing the truth, we also value love because the greatest of these is love. So the truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. And I believe that American culture, because they don't value the word of God, they struggle on the other side. They, we love everybody. And because they love everybody, there's no foundation in truth. They actually don't love anybody because they don't know what love is. And so, if you have love without truth, you have hypocrisy. This is also going on in the younger generation, people who grew up in church. They struggle with the fact that God says certain things are wrong and certain things are right, and our culture says that it's all good. So they say, we just love everybody, but they really don't love anybody because true love is truthful. It's, tr it's founded in truth. And, again, when we're not fully engaged, see, what I found is this. Every church, if we don't strike the sweet spot between truth and love, 
Every church either becomes a truth church, where it's kind of brutal. If you go there and you don't agree with what's being said, you get ramrodded right out of the church. Or it's a love, hypocritical love-based church where we just love everybody and you actually don't have any beliefs because you don't value truth. And Crossroads, we're seeking to find that sweet spot. We believe the truth of God's word and we're going to love everybody right where they are. And that makes things a little messy, right? Because people are like, well, I don't think we should welcome those people because they don't believe like we do. We're like, listen, we didn't believe like we did either until somebody loved on us. I remember when I first stepped foot in the church, I was one of those people. I thought the roof was going to cave in when I walked in. And I was amazed that it didn't. But you know what? I got loved on. And I had people just come to me like, you know, Daniel, can we talk about something? You really can't be doing that. Why? I've been doing this my whole life. Let me explain to you why. And they didn't judge me. They reasoned with me. They loved me. And they said, look, even if you keep doing it, I'll still love you. But God will change your heart. Trust me. A mature church hits the sweet spot. Truth and love. They're not mutually exclusive. They come together. You can't truly value truth if you don't value love because God is love. And if God is love and God is the truth, then love is the truth. So for those of you who lean on the true side, that needs to be, that needs to be nuanced by love. And those of us who leave on, lean on the love side to the point of hypocrisy because you're afraid to call a duck a duck even though it looks and quacks like a duck. You need the truth to nuance you because your love without being nuanced by truth, it's not really love. It's not really anything. Because if you really love somebody, you're going to tell them not to go to an ultimate destruction. If, if you're driving, if you're driving down I-5 and you know that the bridges going over the Columbia are out, if you love somebody, you're going to try and stop every car from going to their sure destruction on that bridge. You can't say, I love you. Hey, listen, just drive over it. No worries. That's just wrong, right? It'd be like if you came over my house and if I had a, a pool in my backyard, which I don't have, but if I did, and I'm like, listen, I'm going to go inside and get some lemonade and Obadiah and Maranatha are playing in the pool, right? And all of a sudden, Maranatha starts to swallow water and you're watching the whole thing. I'm inside. And all of a sudden, I come out, and Maranatha's laying face down in the pool. What happened? Oh, she started taking in water. You didn't help her? Well, no, because she's your kid. Would that be loving of you? No. That's a horrible analogy, right? But that's what happens when we love without truth. Because people are making decisions that are spiritually precarious, and we love them too much to say, you are dying. You are headed for destruction. That's not love at all. That's hatred. It really is. If you let my child die in my backyard when you could have helped them, that's hatred. You don't love me. You hate me. And you hate my kids. So that's why that nuance of love and truth, that's a powerful thing, isn't it? They come together. They are married. They are joined at the hip. That is true Christian behavior. And when we are fully engaged, we find that sweet spot together. Maybe you're listening today and what you heard isn't what you thought the church was about. Maybe you've been exposed to the hellfire and brimstone preaching that only serves to condemn. Pastor Daniel shared with us that God is most certainly very serious about sin. 
but he loves us enough to begin that process of change. Part of being changed into his image is serving. Jesus served God unto death. Will you? Pastor Daniel covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review? You can listen to today's message again by logging on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at JesusIsRealRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Jesus Is Real Radio is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Crossroads Community Church is a large thriving church in Vancouver, Washington. There's a lot going on. In the next edition, Pastor Daniel will share with the body at Crossroads the ongoing ministry needs that they have. But this should certainly translate into your fellowship. Every church has ministry and vision that they feel God is calling them to accomplish. Will you be a part of that ministry and vision? Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Jesus Is Real Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in. Until next time, may the Lord bless.